0: This music is just stunningly beautiful from the live circle. It's worship music at its very best. Thank you for joining me today on Pilgrim's Progress. I'm really clear today on an issue that I want to share with you before we dive into our topic for the day. I received a letter yesterday in the mail from a dear sister, She is a a regular listener. I want to read for you part of what she wrote to me. Dearest Pastor Ray, I must admit I was disappointed when you apologized about Dana Coverstone's dreams not coming to pass in the time frame we had expected, even though his dreams never told us who would be president. I truly believe it's not over yet. God has a perfect timing, and I'm sure President Trump could not accomplish draining the swamp before the inauguration because of circumstances unknown to us. So therefore, we must be patient and continue to pray for God to expose all the corruption and souls to be saved in the process. And maybe President Trump is waiting to see who the treasonous ones who haven't been exposed yet, time will tell. I read that letter and immediately my heart said, sister, you have good judgment. I think you're right. I'd been coming to that conclusion I believe Dana Coverstone spoke honestly the dreams he received. I believe Dutch Sheets and some others that I've been listening to have spoken honestly and truly the word of the living God. Now, it's it's difficult to know but I spoke last night with a a dear brother. He is uh, a regular listener to our broadcast and a regular contributor as is the woman that I just read her letter to you, a part of it. I talked with him about it. He has good judgment. He's a very solid Christian man. And he had the same perspective. He said, All of us are desperately disappointed at the outcome for our country. We're disappointed that a man has become president who believes in eugenics, who believes in the murder of babies. We're disappointed that a man became president through what many of us believe was a dishonest election. We're disappointed that a man became president who essentially has no moral values, who has lied about Ukraine, has profited greatly through illicit transfers of money. We're disappointed. We believe it's an illegitimate government. But I've had to go back and say, wait a minute. God is in charge, not me. And I'm going to trust what God decides. He's the one who sets up or takes down presidents and kings, rulers. I believe that these prophets who have spoken, we have not seen the fulfillment in the way we thought we would see it. I don't think that really matters. I think what matters is that our heart must be open and we must cry aloud to the Lord to expose all corruption in our churches and in the government. God hates corruption. He hates dishonesty. He hates murder. He hates divorce. There are many things that God hates. And he also hates those who participate in them and calls all to come to the cross, to sit in dust and ashes. That's what repentance means. We sit in dust and ashes. We came from the dust, and we will return to the dust. So I want to encourage those of you today who are willing to stand by faith for what God wants to have happen in America. I'm very grateful that I'm not the one in charge. I'm very grateful that our Lord Jesus is in charge, and my eyes are on him. Well, I want to come now to the Word of God. I want to share a truth that if you get a hold of, will cause you to join me sitting in dust and ashes and will cause you to give up all pride. will cause you to give up your arrogance. In today's church, in fact, a mega church in Springfield, a Bible church, adopted a position in their board asking their pastors to no longer teach that you must have the lordship of Jesus over your life to enter into salvation. Now, all of this came about during the 20th century when well-known evangelists began to break apart their appeal at the ends of their sermons. They would make two appeals, one to those who had never accepted Jesus as their Savior and then enter into salvation, and then they would make a second appeal for those who had accepted Jesus as their Savior, and and the evangelist would now invite them to accept Jesus as their Lord. And out of that flowed a very wicked theology, that you have the natural man, the sinner man, and then you have the carnal Christian, and then you have the righteous Christian, And according to these teachers, the carnal Christian and the righteous Christian were all saved. And so they held to this pernicious lie that somehow the God who hates sin, somehow, I don't know how, but somehow, was going to save the sinner, but not save them from their sin. Jesus will not abide with sinners. Let me say that again. Jesus will not abide with sinners. We must repent, and then we must go the next step. and we must be redeemed. We must leave our sin by the power of the blood, and we must be redeemed. God is the one who invented hell for the devil. He invented it for sinners. Now, can you imagine a dumb God who creates hell for sinners, and then at the last minute says, I know you're a sinner, but you're welcome to come on in anyway. Not going to happen. If we're walking in known rebellion, voluntary rebellion against the Most High God, he will not save us. Now, John Wesley spoke about the lower way and the higher way. Some have misunderstood him. John Wesley believed that when a man or a woman came to Jesus Christ, was born again, from that point forward, they no longer walked in any voluntary sin. His definition of sin is that of the scripture, that it's voluntary rebellion against the Lord first john so he had the lower way which was a man or woman walking without sin and then he had a higher way and that was the biblical concept that the old man of sin the carnal nature would be utterly destroyed in the in the life of the believer but either the high, lower or higher way he believed you walked without any known sin in your life. Now, the higher way he believed and called a second work of grace. And he called it a crisis work of grace, where you finally said, look, I can't live this way anymore. I'm spending all of my time fighting against my wicked nature. I've got to have the victory over this so that I can be useful for the kingdom of God. And he said, you must preach the higher way. You can be saved, he said, on the lower way, which is walking with no known sin, but the old man has not been totally destroyed in you, but you don't give in to it. Now, with that as a backdrop, let me share with you an amazing story out of Scripture. Elkanah was a faithful Jewish man. He had two wives the first, Panea, and the second, Hannah. Panea had children, but Hannah had none. Now, in that culture, not to have a child was disgrace. To have children was to be honored by the husband. And year after year, this man, Elkanah, went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord at Shiloh. This is where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests before the Lord, and you know they were utterly wicked. When it came time for Elkanah to sacrifice his animal, He would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penea, and to her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would always give a double portion, because he loved her. And the scriptures say, the Lord had closed up her womb. She could not have children, because the Lord was blocking her from having children. And because the Lord had closed her womb, Penea kept provoking her in order to irritate her, provoking her to insult her. Panea knew that Elkanah loved Hannah more than her. This went on year after year. And Hannah would respond with weeping and fasting. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than two sons or ten sons? Yes, of course. But that's why she wanted to have sons to honor her husband because she loved him deeply. Now I want to point out something. The Lord wanted something from Hannah, and he was not going to open her womb until she understood what he wanted and was willing to give it to him. Now, that raises a very serious question that I must ask you. Some of you, like me, have lived year after year waiting on the Lord. Now, it feels like our womb is closed up, and we're not able to accomplish for the kingdom of God what we desire to accomplish. It feels like our life is shut down and we just can't get ahead. Some of you have been working at very painful, laborious work year after year trying to get ahead, and yet you just can't get ahead. You're deep in debt. You're trying to pay off your debts as a righteous man, but you don't know what to do. You're frustrated. You may even, if you are like me, go before the Lord and weep and say, Lord, Lord, when are you going to deliver me? When are you going to fulfill the prophecies you made to me when I was just a child? When are you going to step in and do for me what I'm asking you to do for me? And in the face of that, I have to answer the question, what does God want from me? What does God want from you? He wants something. That's why you're in this position. You're not walking in sin against him. You are obeying him in every every way you know, but you're still in bondage. Your foot is still in the snare. So what does God want from you? And I have begun to pray this prayer, Lord. Okay. What do you want from me? Whatever you want, I'm going to sit in this dust and ashes I came from the dust. I returned to the dust. I'm going to sit and I'm going to wait upon you. I need to know what, what are you wanting from me, Jesus? Now, we know some of what he wants. We, he wants us to walk righteous before him. He wants us to obey his word. He wants us to be clean. He doesn't want us going to pornography or going to the television or going to our rituals and our entertainment. He wants us to wait before him. And yesterday I received a call from one of our listeners, and he, he said to me, Pastor, I'm really irritated with God. I'm angry. I said, tell me about it he said well i'm doing everything i know that i'm supposed to do but i need a job and god is not giving me that job and i need a wife i'm i'm 40 years old i've never been married i need a wife i want a family i want children i'm angry at god I said, and and what is getting angry at God getting you? Well, nothing. Well, you're right. Getting angry at God won't get you anything. It'll just extend the time when your womb is closed up. So what should I do, pastor? Repent. Wait before God. Trust him for full deliverance. He will deliver you. Our God is not a God who is blind or deaf. He hears everything. He sees everything. He knows everything. He's not a God who is deaf or dumb. He talks. We can hear him. He speaks to his children. So why is your womb closed up? What does God want for you? What is he waiting upon? What decision do you need to make that you have refused to even consider looking at? What is God calling you to? As a couple of my brothers have said, we're praying that God will show us his purpose. They're right. We need God to show us what he wants. And this sister, year after year after year, was tormented by Penea, weeping and broken of heart. But she never came up with the answer for what does God want from me? And until she could come up with that answer and hear clearly from the Lord what he wanted from her, he was not going to release her. So you can sit in your prison, and if you're walking righteous... It's very easy to become irritated and angry with the Almighty and begin to make accusations against him, begin to blame him. It's your fault. It's your fault that I'm not able to break through and succeed. So why are you treating me this way? You're not just. You're unfair, God. No, God is not unfair, ever, He is a just God. He is loving and compassionate. He is long-suffering. He is patient. He's waiting on you. And when you make accusations and judgments against God, when you become irritated with him and you say, I'm entitled to this. Look, as this young man said to me, this 40-year-old man, i Look, I'm 75. 40 is young to me. When he says, I'm looking at people who are not Christians, and they're getting ahead in life. They have a beautiful wife. They have children. They have jobs. They're making money. Life is good. Here I am trying to serve the God of heaven, and my life is miserable. So why? Why isn't God treating me the way I deserve to be treated? I said, oh, brother, you are such a wicked sinner before God. With your pride, with your pride, thinking that God owes you something. God only owes you hell. For you were conceived and you were born and you have been raised in sin, in wickedness. You need to go sit in dust and ashes before the Lord and humble your heart and say, Lord, whatever it is you want from me, it's yours. I will not object. My life belongs to you. My late wife, she used to always pray, Lord, my life is a a blank check. Please spend me any way you choose, and that will be okay with me. And then she got cancer. And as she lay dying in our bedroom on the bed, She said, Ray, I didn't know when I prayed that prayer that God would would spend me on cancer. But she said, when you do my funeral, I want you to say something. I said, what is that, sweetheart? He said, she said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, there's something else we always used to say, and we were very public about it. And that was that Jesus had every right over our lives and that he stood between us. Jan was a wonderful, wonderful woman, but she was very strong-willed. And that was okay. But I'm also strong-willed and we would have killed each other had Jesus not stood between us. But with Jesus standing between us, we were a perfect team and the love flowed between us and other people, and Jesus was glorified. It was Jesus' right to say to us, I have first dibs on Jan's life and on your life, Ray, and I'm choosing to bring her home And I have the right to do that. You agreed to that. And I said, yes, Lord. And when Jan died, I died. And in time, the National Prayer Chapel died. And now I'm waiting on the Lord to see what he wants to do. to raise me and to raise us from the dust. I sit in the dust and the ashes and I'm waiting on God. He's made some incredible promises to me. Even when I was a child, nine and 10 years of age, he gave me visions. I know what his plan is. He's shared that with me. But he also said, that those things would not happen till the latter part of my life. Well, I'm in the latter part of my life now. What does Jesus want from me? What does Jesus want from you? Please, would you ask Jesus that question? And would you stop going with your own agenda, with your own desires, with your own Plans? Would you, with Jan, say, my life is a blank check and you can spend me any way you want to spend me? I've been praying that prayer. I'm inviting you to pray the same prayer. Make the decision. Lord, the Lord takes and blessed is the name of the lord now i want to show you what hannah decided and in that decision the lord was pleased and said okay now i'm going to open your womb let me read it for you this is first samuel the first chapter In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow. That's what God was waiting for. He was waiting for her to make the vow. She made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. That's what the Lord was waiting for. He was waiting for the vow that if God would give her a son, she would give him back to God. Wow. She wanted a son. For her husband. But God wanted a son for his kingdom. So she made the vow I will give my son to the Lord. As a Nazarite, I will give my son to the Lord. As she was praying, Eli, sitting there, saw her mouth moving. Hannah was praying in her heart. She had wept all of her tears. She had no more voice. She was at the total end of herself. She was in the dust and the ashes. It is required that we come to the utter end of ourselves and have nothing of ourselves left. And in that place, she was accused by Eli of being a drunk woman. And and he said to her, How long will you keep on getting getting drunk? Get rid of your wine, woman. Not so, my Lord. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Now I I think back to Job. It was not until Job came to the utter end of himself that he finally had a vision of who God was. Please understand what I'm saying today. We are too big for God to do very much of anything with us. We are too full of our own opinions. We're too full of our beliefs. We're too full of our accusations. We're too full of our plans. And God God can't do anything with us. And he's going to hold us in this place of no birthing until we make the vow. Now, please, he doesn't do this with everyone. Some people, he just lets them go on their merry way and they're very successful and they have a wonderful life. And that's not the way of God with people he's called apart. To serve him. The ones he's called apart to serve, he isolates and he deals with our hearts. And he continues to deal with our hearts until we finally make the vow he's asking us to make. What vow has he asked you to make? Until you make that vow. God will not open the windows of heaven and pour out his blessing in your life. This is, this is terrifying to understand. God is in charge of our lives, not us. He is the one who determines what will happen in our hearts and in our lives. And he waits on us to finally sit in the dust and the ashes and acknowledge that he is the almighty the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Penea never saw this. She popped babies out one after another. She never gave birth to a Samuel. She gave birth to wicked men. I don't want to give birth to wickedness. I want to give birth to righteousness, to the fullness of the kingdom of God. I've been asked, Pastor, how much longer can you keep doing this? You're 75. How long are you going to do this? You could retire and go live your life. No, I can't. I don't have a life. My life belongs to Jesus. I can't retire. God didn't call me to retire. I'm going to obey what the Holy Spirit has called me to. And he's called me to a life of intense discipline and faith. And he's called me to do this radio broadcast. When I started, he gave me a dream. And in the dream, I was preaching in a very large church. And there were pillars everywhere in front of me so I could hear the congregation, but I couldn't see who was there. And that is how he has spent me, preaching on the radio where once in a while I can hear you, but I can't see you. But God's in charge. Have I wept over this? Yes. Have I cried out to God over this? Yes. But now I'm saying, Lord, what vow do you want me to make to you? Do you remember Esther? She went before the king, and the king said, Ask whatever you want, I'll give you up to half of my kingdom. She put her life on the line. Tell me today, are you just going on with your life because it's yours? Or have you sat down in the dust and the ashes, humbled your heart before Almighty God, and you're waiting on him to open before you what he wants you to be and what he wants you to do? What is God's purpose? What does he want from you? Do you know? Has he spoken to you clearly so that there's no question? You know what he wants, and you're on your way. You're being carried by the Holy Spirit. After she prayed and was rebuked for being drunk. Eli answered her, and he said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you whatever you've asked of him. Her faith fastened on that word from Eli. And she said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate, And her face was no longer downcast. And early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then they went back home. And Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife. And the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel meaning heard of God. Hannah gave birth, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. But in truth, it was not because she asked the Lord for him. It's because she made a vow to give him to the Lord. What is the Lord asking you to give him? What is it that you have in your possession that God is saying, would you give that to me? I want that. Elkanah went up with his family again the next year, but Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord and he will live there forever. He was probably five or six years of old when he was weaned. That was customary in that culture. And her husband supported her in that decision. He loved her. But she was now dealing with the God of heaven at a level Elkanah could not understand. And many people will not understand the position you are in as you wait upon the Lord. They will not understand, and they will say to you, Stop waiting on the Lord and go do what you know you can do. Use your talents and your gifts and go get the job done. No. No. I'm going to wait on the Lord. The Lord's last command to me was, wait upon the Lord. And the Lord will carry you through. Rest in me, Ray. Yes, sir. And now I'm praying, Lord, what is it you want? what can I do that would please you? What can I give you? What have you chosen to spend my life on? It's okay. And so she took her son with a three-year-old bull, an ephod of flour, a skin of wine, and she brought them to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And when they would slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli, and they said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord granted me what I ask of him. So now I give him to the Lord for the whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he, Samuel, worshiped the Lord there. Oh, my brother, my sister, do you understand the implications of what I'm saying to you today? Many of you have spent almost your whole life just struggling to survive, paying the bills, taking care of business, pleasing your wife or your husband, taking care of children. But you've never taken the time to sit in the dust and the ashes and say, Lord, what is it that you want? What is it that you're asking me for? And will you give it to him? Will you give Jesus what he's asking you to give him? Will you make the bow? And will you keep it? My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord, and there is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly, or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warrior are broken. But those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food. But those who were hungry hunger no more. She who was barren has borne seven children. But she who has many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. Upon them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked will be silenced in darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. What is the Lord? Asking you to give him. Well, that's all the time we have for today. I'm sorry if you're watching this video, there is some delay, there's some latency. Brother Ed is working on that. Hopefully we'll get that corrected soon. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online. I thank you for the brother who went online yesterday, gave $500. Thank you. God bless you all. I love you. I look forward to hearing from you. We'll talk soon.